Section 2 of From the Latchkey of My Bookhouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy Stover. From the Latchkey of My Bookhouse. Edited by Olive Beaupre Miller. Alcott Louisa May. American, 1832 to 1888. In the historic old town of Concord, Massachusetts, there lived once a strong, sturdy, jolly girl named Louisa Alcott. Louisa's home was a shabby, dingy old house, but it was full of simple happiness, and its four bare walls rang often with shouts of merry laughter. For Louisa had the tenderest, most loving mother imaginable, a wise, devoted father, and three lively sisters, Anna, Beth, and May. Over the hills behind Old Concord, whence the green meadows swept away to meet the golden sunset, and down by the rush-bordered river that went slowly meandering through the town, the little girls loved to romp and play. They weren't very well off, so far as money goes, those Alcotts. Mr. Alcott was a schoolteacher, with an immense love for children and a beautiful way of teaching them, but he believed very earnestly that people should live simpler, truer, more useful lives than they do and his opinions as to how they should set about doing this were so different from those held by others that men laughed at him and said he was odd and would not send their children to his school. Moreover, he said plainly that the owning of slaves was wrong, and this made him still more unpopular in an age when, even in the North, men were not ready at all to agree with him. So he found it very difficult indeed to get along. But Mr. Alcott was the sort of man who was always loyal to the best ideas he knew, and would cling to them with his whole strength, no matter what it cost him. Shoulder to shoulder with him stood his brave wife, always upholding him, working day and night with her capable hands to make his burdens lighter, cooking, sewing, cleaning. And in spite of all the hard work she did, she was never too tired to be gay and jolly and interested in all that interested her daughters. So the four little girls were brought up from their infancy in a world of simple living and high thinking. They had plenty of joyous, carefree fun in which both mother and father enjoyed, but they began to understand very early the necessity for being useful and bearing their share in the household tasks. Thus, though the house where they lived was poor and shabby, it was very rich in love and loyalty and simple homey joys. Louisa was a strong, active, handsome girl, with blue eyes and a perfect mane of heavy chestnut hair. She could run for miles and miles and never get tired, and she was as sturdy as a boy. Indeed, her mother used sometimes to call her Joe in fun and say that Joe was her only son. Joe loved to climb trees and leap fences, run races and roll hoops, and when she was not playing with her sisters, she liked best to play with boys. But beside all these lively sports, Louisa liked, too, to curl herself up in a chair and read or study. Sometimes she would go off alone into the garret, taking a pile of apples with her and her favorite book. There she would read and munch away in happy solitude. All day long she had interesting thoughts, and often she wrote these down in her diary. She used to make up stories, too, and tell them to her sisters. On occasion, little Louisa could be a turbulent miss, and her high spirits often led her into paths of strange adventure. Once, when she was very small and lived in Boston, she ran away from home and spent the day with some Irish children. They shared a very poor and very salty dinner with her, after which they all went to play in the nice, dirty ash heaps. Late in the afternoon, they took a daring trip as far away as Boston Common. 
when it began to grow dark however louisa's little irish friends deserted her and there she was left all alone in a strange place with the dusky shadows deepening and the night lights twinkling out then indeed she began to long for home but she hadn't the smallest idea which way to go and so wandered helplessly on and on at last quite wearied out she sat down on a welcome doorstep beside a friendly big dog the dog kindly allowed her to use his back for a pillow and she fell fast asleep from her dreams she was roused by the voice of the town crier who had been sent in search of her by her distracted parents he was ringing his bell and calling out loudly tossed lost a little girl six years old in a pink frock white hat and new green shoes out of the darkness a small voice answered him why that's me next day the little runaway was tied to the arm of a sofa to cure her of her wandering habit when naughty traits of character got the better of louisa however she always suffered intensely in her own little heart for the wrong she had done in the intervals of working off steam and the liveliest adventures she was often sadly troubled by her faults sometimes then she had a little game she would play she liked to make believe that she was a princess and that her kingdom was her own mind when she had hateful self-willed or dissatisfied thoughts she tried to get rid of these by playing that they were enemies of her kingdom she would marshal her legions of soldiers and march them bravely against the foe her soldiers she said were patience duty and love with these she fought her battles and drove out the enemy when she was only fourteen years old she wrote a poem about this a little kingdom i possess where thoughts and feelings dwell and very hard i find the task of governing it well nevertheless after many a hotly contested battle she did succeed in taking command and governing her kingdom like a queen the house where the four girls lived in concord had a yard full of fine old trees and a big barn which was their most particular delight here they produced many marvellous plays for anna and louisa both had a wonderful talent for acting they made the barn into a theatre and climbed up on the haymow for a stage the grown people who came to see their plays would sit on chairs on the floor one of the children's favorite plays was jack and the beanstalk they had a ladder from the floor to the loft and all the way up the ladder they tied a squash vine to look like the wonderful beanstalk when it came to the place in the story where jack was fleeing from the giant and the giant was hot on his heels about to plunge down the beanstalk the girl who took the part of jack would cut down the vine with a mighty flourish while the audience held their breath then crashing out of the loft to his well-deserved end below would come the monstrous old giant this giant was made of pillows dressed in a suit of funny old clothes with a fierce hideous head made of paper another play which the children acted was cinderella they made a big pumpkin out of the wheelbarrow trimmed with yellow paper thus the pumpkin could easily become a golden coach in which cinderella magnificently rolled away at a single stroke of the fairy godmother's wand the tale of the foolish woman who wasted her three wishes was illustrated in a way to make the beholders scream with laughter by means of a pudding which was lowered by invisible hands until it rested upon the poor lady's nose the costumes used in these performances were marvellous affairs for louisa anna and mrs alcott had a wonderful knack for rigging up something out of nothing a scrap found its use a bright-colored scarf a table cover a bit of old lace a long cloak a big hat with a plume stolen from some departed bonnet would afford a regal costume in which to come sweeping on to the stage 
the children were never at a lack either for scenery for their ready wit was quite capable of providing castles enchanted forests caves or ladies bowers barnes offered splendid opportunities too for a hero or a villain to make desperate but safe leaps from the beams or to sink out of sight at short notice into one of the various mangers and hence they had everything necessary right at hand there was one other beautiful and much more serious story which the alcott children loved to play though they did not give this to an audience in the barn but played it alone for their own amusement this story was pilgrim's progress in which the pilgrim christian loaded down with his burden of sins finds his way through toil and danger from the city of destruction to the celestial city their mother used to tie her peace bags on their backs to represent christian's burden then they would put on broad-brimmed pilgrim hats take a stick for a staff and start out on their journey from the cellar which was the city of destruction they would mount to the housetop where was the celestial city and they would act out on the way in most dramatic form every step of christian's upward progress sometimes instead of playing pilgrim's progress indoors they would play it out of doors wandering over the hills behind the house through the woods and down the lanes louisa loved all these plays and besides the old ones which they performed she made up some new ones of her own very thrilling and tragic and therefore very funny there could not have been a more beautiful place than concord for four hearty simple girls like these to live it was a typical new england village quiet and homelike with its plain white houses and its shady elm trees nestling in its circle of peaceful hills there were no very rich people there and none very poor the inhabitants were honest and friendly with simple occupations and amusements and very few worldly ambitions in the winter the place used to ring with the happy voices of young people skating on the hardened snow to the pine woods in the summer the river would be alive with gay bathing or boating parties concord was a historic old place too with its memories of the first gunshots of the revolution and many a time in the days of the alcott girls there used to be masquerades on the fine old river to celebrate the anniversary of that great event gay barges full of historic characters in costume would glide down the stream and sometimes savages in their war-paint would dart from the lily-fringed river-banks to attack the gay masqueraders hardy and healthy was the life in concord and it produced a fine race of people among them three at least of the most remarkable character these three were emerson hawthorne and thoreau and though these men were much older than louisa they were all of them her friends ralph waldo emerson was one of the greatest men in the history of american literature he was a thinker a philosopher and a poet strong gentle and serene he had stood by mr alcott when everyone else laughed at him and deserted him and from her earliest recollections louisa had adored him once she went to school with the little emersons in their father's barn for in those days of no public schools teachers used frequently to gather their pupils together in barns the illustrious mr emerson was often the children's playfellow he would pile all the youngsters on a great hay-cart and take them off to picnic or go berrying in the woods emerson's friend henry thoreau who loved the tangled depths of the forest had once gone off and lived by himself in a hut that he built on the edge of walden pond to prove to himself and others the joy of utterly simple living close to the heart of nature the hut was in a beautiful spot among fragrant pines and overlooked the clear green depths of the pond which thoreau from its gleaming expressiveness called the eye of the earth about walden pond encircling it everywhere rose the hills the tall green hills to this beautiful spot emerson used to take the children 
he would show them all the places he loved all the wood people thoreau had introduced to him or the wild flowers whose hidden homes he had discovered so years later when the children read emerson's beautiful poem about the sweet rodor in the woods his quote, burly dozing bumblebee or laughed over the fable of the mountain and the squirrel they recognized old friends of these beautiful woodland jaunts and thanked emerson for the delicate truth and beauty he had seen there and helped them to understand to the turbulent restless half-grown louisa the calm philosopher with his gentle ways and practical common sense was an anchor indeed in her warm little heart he was held so sacredly that he himself would have smiled at such worship she went to him often for advice about her reading and was at liberty to roam all around the book-lined walls of his library there to select whatever pleased her most for emerson was never too busy to help her hawthorne too handsome shy man that he was always steering away from the society of grown-ups had much to do with louisa and the conquered children he was always at his best with the children and his stories never failed to hold louisa spellbound doubtless she was one of the children to whom he first told the tanglewood tales and the stories in the wonder book she pored over his books and love and admiration for him grew with her growth henry thoreau was the last of those great conquered friends who had such an influence on louisa's life from him the alcott girls learned to know intimately the nature they already loved and many a happy day was spent with him in the woods studying the secrets of the wild flowers and the language of the birds it was down by the river that thoreau was most often to be found there he would row his boat or paddle his canoe with indian skill through the many windings stopping now and then to gather some rare plant from among the grasses on the shore in his company the girls would take long long walks too even trampling the twenty miles from concord to boston there was not a single flower or tree that the gentle woodsman did not know birds squirrels and insects were his comrades hunted foxes would come to him for protection wild squirrels would nestle in his coat birds and chipmunks gathered about him as he sat at rest on the river bank he seemed able to even coax the fishes up to the surface to feed out of his hand and so for him all nature had a voice and the conquered children loved the simple friend who taught them the poetry of the woods as louisa grew up into a tall young girl she began to come into prominence as a storyteller her nature studies gave her material and out in the conquered woods she would gather about her the little emerson children ellen edith and edward and the three hawthorne children una julian and rose and many another too then under the spreading branches of some great tree with the sunshine filtering down on her head and lighting up all the eager little faces about her she would tell stories that made the very woods alive wood sprites and water sprites and fairy queens dancing in and out through the greenery of those cool forest glades but in spite of all the delights of concord louisa was beginning to feel the weight of the family troubles she saw her father struggling day by day earning a little here and there by the work of his hands when his talents as a teacher were running to waste she saw her mother carrying burdens too heavy for her and working far too hard she had always helped her mother all she could with the housework but the greatest need of the household now was for more money a noble purpose took root in louisa's heart she would set out into the world earn a living and mend the family fortunes she would give this dear devoted mother the comforts that had been denied her for so long once determined to accomplish this louisa never rested true she was only a girl and there were very few lines of activity open to girls in those days the way seemed dark before her and full of obstacles but louisa was never daunted full of energy and pluck she set forth first she went up to boston and lived in a wretched little sky parlor 
There she wrote stories for various magazines and papers, taught in a kindergarten, and did sewing or anything else that came to her hand. Only one thing mattered to her henceforth, to help her mother, father, and sisters. Night and day she worked, never sparing herself, and every penny that she did not absolutely need for the barest necessities of life she sent home to her mother and father. James Russell Lowell was the editor of the Atlantic Monthly in those days, and he praised her stories and took them for his magazine. Yet as the years passed, she wrote nothing that had any very lasting merit. She merely labored unceasingly and earned money enough by her own self-sacrifice to keep her dear ones in greater comfort at home. Then one day, Louisa's publisher asked her to write a book for girls. Louisa was very worn and weary, and she hadn't the smallest idea that she could really write an interesting book for children. All these years she had written for grown-ups only, but she had never yet said, I can't, when she was asked to do anything. So in spite of her misgivings, she answered the publisher simply, I'll try. When she began to think about what she should write, she remembered all the good times she used to have with her sisters in the big bear house in Concord, out in the old barn and over the hills. So she wrote the story of Little Women and put in all those things. Besides the jolly times and the plays they had, she put in the sad hard times too, the work and the worry and the going without things. It was a simple story of simple girls, of their daily struggles, their joys and sorrows, but through it all shone the spirit of that beautiful family affection that the Alcotts knew so well, an affection so strong and enduring that neither poverty, sorrow, nor death could ever mar it. And the little book was so sweet and funny, so sad and real, like human life, that everybody bought it and much money came from it. There were Mr. and Mrs. March in the book, true as life to Mr. and Mrs. Alcott, and there were all the four sisters, too. Meg, the capable housewifely one, was Anna. Joe, the old pet name for Louisa, was Louisa herself, the turbulent boyish one who was always going into a vortex and writing stories. Beth was the sweet, sunny little home buddy, Lizzie or Beth. Amy was May, the pretty golden-haired, blue-eyed one with the artistic tastes, whose pug nose was such a sore trial to her beauty-loving soul that she went about with a clothespin on to train it into proper lines. There was a real John Brooke, too. He was a portrait of that gentle, kindly, lovable John Pratt, who really married Anna. And Laurie was a mixture of a handsome, polished Polish boy whom Louisa had once met in Europe, and a certain New England lad who was her friend in girlhood. So many of the good times in Little Women are true, and many of the sad times, too. The marriage of Meg and John Brooke, and the death of dear little Beth. Louisa was hardly prepared for the immense success of this book. It made her almost rich, and besides that she suddenly found herself so worshipped and idolized by young people and old alike that crowds began haunting her path, hanging about the house just to get a glimpse of her, popping up in her way to bow reverently as she went for a walk or a drive, deluging her with flowers and writing her sentimental verses. All this attention drove Louisa nearly distracted, so she had to run away from it for a year's rest in Europe. But ever after that the children considered Louisa their especial property and she devoted herself henceforth to writing for them entirely. She loved them very dearly, too, boys and girls alike, and no American author has ever held a warmer place than she in the hearts of American young people. And so, after so many years of the hardest, most devoted, and unselfish labor, Louisa's dream came true. She was able to give her dear family all that they needed and wanted. She bought a comfortable home for them in Concord. She sent May to study art in Europe. She gave her father books. But best of all, she was able at last to give her beloved mother the happiness and rest which she had so nobly earned. Never again did Marmee have to do any hard work. 
she could sit from that time forth in a comfortable chair beside the sunny window with beautiful work and beautiful things about her. A successful life was Louisa Alcott's, one of toil and effort indeed, of joy and sorrow and ceaseless self-sacrifice, but through it all, as through little women, ran the golden thread of that splendid family love. Important works, Little Women, Little Men, Joe's Boys, An Old-Fashioned Girl, Jack and Jill, Eight Cousins, Rose in Bloom, and Silver Pitchers. Alden Raymond MacDonald, American, 1873. Raymond MacDonald Alden was born at Hartford, New York, and educated at Rollins College, Florida, the University of Pennsylvania, and Harvard. He has edited several plays by Shakespeare and the Elizabethan dramatists, and has taught as instructor and professor at Harvard, Leland Stanford, Jr., and the Universities of Pennsylvania and Illinois. He was director of the Drama League of America from its founding until 1914. Important Works why the chimes rang. End of section two.